Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and our Catching Up With series. This time it is our friend Jim Glickenhaus, constructor of fine high-performance automobiles, including one that just captured its class victory at the Baja 1000. Most importantly, I think, for those who might listen to the show and our various sports car offerings, someone who is planning to bring the SCG Scuderia Cameron Glickenhaus 007 to the new 2020 through 2021 FIA World Endurance Championship in the hypercar class that will be making its debut in September of 2020. Interesting news this week from the FIA WEC confirming the name of the class, confirming a few things, maybe causing some serious question marks about others. Wanted to ring Jim and just get some clarification, get some insights. And as he says, there's nothing curious for him. So good stuff. Good little bit of inside information and or straightening out anything we might have been sent on a little bit of a uh, wandering path due to the information that came out from the sanctioning body and also even the clarification that came out from the sanctioning body. So wanted to catch up with Jim, did that here on our short form interview show. Also get into production when they're looking to get the first 007 hypercar on track. Talk about the boot a bit. Love the boot. Absolutely love the boot. As always, we say thank you to Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. Look forward to a new season with them. Look forward to many new things. And thank you for listening here on the good old Marshall Pruitt Podcast. If you are new to what we do, MarshallPruittPodcast.com has almost 700 episodes waiting for your enjoyment. All right, let's get going with Jim Glickenhouse talking all things sports car racing and a little bit off-road here on Catching Up With. Jim Glickenhouse, you have become my proverbial canary in a coal mine when it comes to the FIAWC's hypercar class. If you are seeing value in it, if you're committing to it, I'm confident that the rest of the world should. And if you are seeing things that don't make a lot of sense, I've at least observed so far, I have the same questions about sense. So thought it'd be perfect to catch up with you here. Talk about the latest, I'm using air quotes, news in terms of the class, some of the requirements that were announced this week in terms of OEM linkage and whatnot. A lot of questions, a lot of confusions, confusion that has come out, it would seem, in the wake of the uh, news bits that came out this week. So I thought it might just be easy to open and ask, how are they received by you? Did you have any questions? Did you need, need any clarification on what a hypercar is, what will be allowed, which manufacturers, etc.? What stands out? Yeah, no, from my perspective and view, I, I don't really see that anything has changed. I mean, they have conceptually said that they want the top class to um, resemble um, road-going sports car dreams as opposed to, you know, the hyper-technical prototypes that LMP1 cars were. Uh, So I see nothing really changed in that. Um, You know, the, the nomenclature that was bandied about where it says brand or something like that really 
has no effect on us. I mean, we're a brand or a mark or a manufacturer. We're going to deliver 50 road legal vehicles next year. Um, we've won an FIA championship cup in alternative energies where we beat Toyota and Porsche one year. Um, we've, you know, we race at the Nuremberg ring and we just beat Ford at the uh, Baja 1000 in class. <laughs> Yeah, that was a mighty fine thing. We'll get into that in a moment. But yeah, and you, you raise a great point here, and we're still waiting to see how the FIA might rule or if they have any odd things to say on what actually makes an auto manufacturer an auto manufacturer. Uh, is it making one model? Is it making a minimum number? Is the fact that you are a recognized low-volume auto uh, constructor here in the U.S. Does that qualify? Curious again, maybe for those who don't know all you know the background of the thinking with hypercar, where you have been told Scuderia, Cameron, Glickenhaus fits uh, in terms of eligibility. Well, it uh, goes back to our first conversation, uh, frankly, with the ACO. Uh, they were very happy that we were committing. We've been part of the technical committee from the beginning. Uh, they have visited our facility in um, Point San Martin, Italy, Podium Engineering, where we are designing, engineering, and will build our um, hypercar for Le Mans. And uh, Podium also builds our um, GT3 and GT2 versions of our uh, 004 that we will be racing at the Nürburgring and in other places. And they do... Um, a lot of engineering for us. So they visited the facility. They met the people who we've hired um, to help us with the program. And frankly, there's some very big and important uh, names associated with it. We'll be doing a further press release soon. Uh, they are aware of who our engine supplier will be. Um, and that information will become public pretty soon. Uh, but I can say it's a very well-known, venerable brand who will be um, providing engines for us. And the car, you know, in terms of branding, will be uh, co-branded, meaning it will be a Glickenhaus and then the name of the engine company Interesting. On, on it. But, but that is... You know, that is just the way it was always going to be. There was never any discussion with us. Uh, are you a brand? How many are you making? Are you a manufacturer? They they have always accepted us from the very beginning as a manufacturer. And um, no, so there was nothing in this announcement that we felt, frankly, pertained to us. I think, you know, I, I can't I certainly can't speak for the ACO or what they're doing, but I think that what they want to do is to have the hypercar class related to manufacturers who build road cars because I think if you go back to you know the magic days of Le Mans that are so popular today because of the Ford Ferrari Wars movie um, you know there were sports cars that were sort of dream sports cars even their prototype um, condition, but people felt that they could aspire to own or drive such a thing as opposed to the spectacular hyper-technical LMP1s, which really were more like fighter aircraft. 
I mean, a normal pilot can fly a Cessna, but I don't think they think they can fly an F-35. Mm. And, you know, that's sort of where where we see it. But, you know, our dream still remains that the World Sports Car Championship of makes that occurred in 67 could be expanded into the top class at IMSA. I mean, I think that, you know, a lot of fans would love to see a world championship that consisted of the great uh, WEC races, including Le Mans and others, and also, frankly, uh, Daytona and the same Sebring that is run by IMSA. You know, the Sebring is perhaps the closest because, like last year, I believe you had the 12-hour uh, IMSA race and then you had the 12-hour WEC race sort of back-to-back. But I would love it if the top class of both IMSA and uh, the WEC could be the same cars. And frankly, I don't I don't see why they couldn't be. And I think that, um, you know, when you look at IMSA, um, the well, both classes have an LMP2 class. So the LMP2 class is a good place for drivers who want to race a more of a uh, prototype type car. Uh, they both have um, GT cars. Uh, IMSA has GTT, GTD, and GTLM, which is effectively the WEC LMP, uh, excuse me, a GTE. So they're similar sports cars. It's the top class where now it's divergent. Uh, the WEC is going to be the hypercar class. And um, IMSA is, of course, uh, the DPI, the top class. But personally, you know, if I look as to what works, you know, when we beat Ford at the Baja 1000, the next day we sold 50% of our 2020 productive capacity for those uh, Glickenhaus boots. And I think that if you go back to Lee Iacocca, who said, uh, win on Sunday, sell on Monday. I think that's absolutely true. So I think for manufacturers who are um, now lining up in the uh, hypercar class, you know, with the addition of people like Peugeot, you have Toyota, Aston Martin, others who are coming on board. I think that if, if the top class in IMSA was a similar vehicle, I think, frankly, this would sell more cars than, in my humble opinion, the DPIs do, because the DPIs, you know, they they may be powered by manufacturer's engines, but I question as to whether the buyers of those cars make the same visceral connection um, that they do, frankly, to the GTLM cars, the GTD cars, or in the future, what the hypercars look like, which would be flagships for the manufacturers. So that's sort of the dream that I have. Whether that'll happen or not, I have no idea. What you mentioned here, Jim, and it's been a long time since since this was a, quote, thing, but if we think back to the old Lister mark from the UK, you had Lister Jaguar, there were Chevrolets plugged into those machines. This was a constructor in terms of chassis either having options that you could bolt into the front or in some cases back of their cars or if they had an ambition to go to Le Mans go to wherever they could go and seek out a partnership with 
a larger manufacturer, mostly to gain access to their engine. And all of a sudden you had these smaller, more boutique entries, but fascinating entries nonetheless. And it sounds like on top of major auto manufacturers being able to do that with this hypercar formula, the fact that you are able to say we've found an OEM partner, we have this chassis, this 007 of ours that we expect to do big things with, but this isn't us coming in as giant trillion dollar auto manufacturer. This is us loving what we're doing and finding good partners to go and do these things with. Maybe speak to that spirit as well, because that is certainly something that in the era of overly homologated sports car racing series, this is almost a nod to the past because you really, we haven't been able to do this for a long time. Well, absolutely. And if you look at some very uh, famous marks, I mean, Lola, McLaren, um, you know, uh, Lotus, uh, McLaren in Formula One, many of the Formula One teams even today, which uh, use an engine from another manufacturer, uh, they all began as constructors. I mean, Lola used uh, Chevrolet motors. They used Ford motors. Uh, Bruce McLaren used Chevrolet for a long time. Um, And um, the, you know, Lotus certainly used Ford and Cosworth. And it was a wonderful time in that it turned into a situation where people could leverage their abilities. And I think if you look at Colin Chapman and if you look at uh, Eric Broadley and and even Bruce McLaren in the beginning, uh, they had much more expertise in chassis than they certainly did in engines. You know, it was much later um, when the new McLaren company, which sort of um, got involved in engines, but they don't even make their own engines for F1. So McLaren today, F1, uses a another company's engine. And really, there were very few companies in the early days in racing who made both the chassis and the engine. I mean, Ford did and Ferrari did and Porsche did and Jaguar and Aston for sure. But there were a raft of very successful championship winners, such as uh, McLaren, who absolutely did very well in the Can-Am until... uh, you know, my friend Mark Donahue and Porsche came in and uh, sort of <laughs> <laughs> had nuclear destruction with the 917, with the 930-17, or the 917-30, I'm not sure. 17-30, not a problem. Yeah. But, um, yes, yeah, so so my, my dream here, and I've been, you know, trying to get this going for years. And and I humbly think that I had something to do with this switch to the hypercar class is that I want to make something that normal people might think of being involved in. I mean, the amount of money that was spent on LMP1 was, you know, impossible for any company no matter what, you know, except for a giant, giant company. But we now have a situation where a small U.S.-based manufacturer who is, you know, growing to the point where we may sell two or 300 cars a year, which is not insignificant, but it's um, certainly a lot different 
than the major manufacturers. But we have alliances. I mean, for example, we have a wonderful alliance with General Motors uh, who provided the engines for our Glickenhaus boot that we raised the Baja with, and they are providing the engines that we have in our uh, reasonably priced sports car, our 004, which will be a GT3, a GT2, and a... um, lower price sports car that you can buy it's a a three-seater center driver two rear seats like the old similar but a little different to the old mclaren f1 but it's because of the alliances that we have with them that we don't have to spend enormous amounts of money to develop and build our own engines and also you know in this regulatory environment that we're in it's a lot easier for us to install an admissions compliant engine from uh, General Motors uh, into our vehicles and prove that it is emissions compliant as installed than it would be for us to start uh, from ground zero and design, engineer, and build engines. Let's talk, Jim, about timeline on Hypercar. So we're Still early days in December, but certainly shift to 2020 is not far away. We aren't, (laughs) we aren't numerically, if we're staring at the calendar, we aren't that far from this hypercar formula coming into existence. Tell us about what will happen between now and in theory, your first track testing and then going racing. You confident with what the ACO and FIA have produced in terms of regulations and rules that full manufacturing can start taking place. How far away are we from that? Just curious, uh, a lot of conceptual things, but curious from the actual cutting metal, putting things in molds and laying up carbon and whatnot. What's the, what's the next six, seven, eight months like for you? Oh, it's already begun. I mean, the basic uh, rules that we have to homologate to um, have been in place for quite a while. Sure. I mean, the weight, the size, the um, propulsion, whether it's going to be uh, purely an ICE engine or a hybrid engine, what the outputs have to be, uh, that has been in place. So uh, we are building the car, meaning we have uh, begun uh, – a massive engineering designing process we have a we have dyno we have engines that will be running on the dynos in a matter of weeks as we try to reach the required 830 uh horsepower in um the 830 horsepower uh ice engine and endurance tune now that's not easy to do from 2.9 liters so we are really uh, working very hard to accomplish that uh, but we think we will. We have elected to go, frankly, with uh, simply an ICE engine, we feel, for several reasons. One is that it's going to be easier to meet the minimum weight requirements without the batteries and the hybrid system. I think it will give us a more balanced car because we will be able to not have to stuff uh, a lot of batteries into it. Um And we think that it will be a simpler car, will be less complicated, uh, it will be easier for us to do. We have done hybrid cars. We did 
you know, win this FIA Championship Cup with a hybrid version of P4-5 Competizione, which was using a Magnelli-Moretti Formula One hybrid system. But, and it's not that we couldn't do it, but we just feel that this is the way to go. So as it stands today, we'll be dyno testing, trying to develop that engine, 830 horsepower in endurance tune. It's a nice small engine. It's a lightweight engine, uh, but we have the chassis layout. Um, you know, you are allowed in hypercar as you are in Formula One, and you're not allowed in GT3 to uh, have the engine bolt to a bulkhead and be a stressed member and to bolt the suspension to the engine. So that helps in saving weight. Those designs are underway. We have a gearbox sourced, and we have made a deal with um, a very famous um, aerodynamic wind tunnel cut. Uh, company to begin the uh, tweaking of our um, designs that we've shown uh, so far uh, aerodynamically. And we are working uh, with our uh, engine manufacturer on the exact look of the car because it will, frankly, have some design cues from their product mm. and, and will be co-branded, uh, Glickenhaus and them. And uh, so we, we've begun. Our goal is to have the car on the ground uh, early July and begin testing it and uh, then to see how quickly we will be able to join the WEC and definitely to join it and then be at Le Mans. Whether we can make the first WEC race, I'm not sure, but um, you know, we're, we certainly are going to make uh, one pretty quickly and we definitely will be in the WEC end of Le Mans. Curious if you know offhand, having explored the possibility of using the hybrid route, what the overall weight, what the overall, call it performance cost would have been of, of adding electric horsepower, but also what you would then suffer from an overall curb weight increase? Well, the, the minimum that the regulations allow, I believe, is frankly very similar to the dry weight of an 003, which is, um, I think it was like 1,150 kilograms. It may be slightly lighter, I'm not sure. Um, but um, the, the, the issue is we know we can get to that rate weight with, a, with an ICE engine. We were a little hesitant to believe we could get to that weight with a hybrid system. Um, the other thing is, is that while there's enormous advantage to hybrid um, in certain conditions, uh, they have already restricted the places you can use the hybrid system and the speeds below which you can use it. So that negates some of the, the pure advantages of the front wheel drive hybrid system. And the other thing is, you know, having built a car, the 003, which was frankly was and is the fastest GT3 car in the world is evidenced by the fact that when we ran against others, they put <laughs> over a hundred kilos of ballast and restricted our engine size down our power to, to well below 500 horsepower. And in the last 24 hours in Nuremberg, we still set the race lap record um, and came in eighth overall. Uh, the Porsche was disqualified, which bumped us ahead of place but but the point is this for the hypercar we want to be um on the opposite side of that a little bit in this sense the aco has announced that they will be 
uh, BOPing the hypercars, which they're going to have to do because there's going to be a big difference between a hybrid car and a ICE car. And also, in fairness to um, you know people like Aston Martin, uh, if they go with the um, look of a Valkyrie, a lot of the aero that they have in the road Valkyrie, I'm not sure they're going to be allowed to use in the race Valkyrie. I'm talking about the, you know, the uh, ground effects tunnels and things like that. They certainly aren't going to be allowed to use active aerodynamic devices. And the other thing is, is that they have a big V12, which, you know, in my opinion, is not the best engine for um, endurance racing. It's a big engine. It's a fuel-ish engine. It, um, you know, the bigger it is, the harder it is to package uh, the center of gravity and things. So there's going to be a big disparity in the performance of the cars and the ACO is going to have to BOP them. So since that's going to be the case, you know, we just wanted to make the most reliable, the simplest and quite frankly, you know, the most reasonably priced vehicle we could. And we will have road legal examples of it available and we will try to keep it as close to the uh, example that races at Le Mans. But, you know, what we do is a little bit of performance art. I mean, the great thing to me is I remember when the uh, 250 GTO won in class in Le Mans, and then they drove it um, from Le Mans to Paris to Fouquet's and had dinner. And uh, we want to emulate the same thing. And a friend of ours, Jerome Bocuse, who's a well-known chef French, has a restaurant in Lyon. We've already made a reservation with him uh, after the race to uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> put on some road tires and attempt to drive it there for dinner. I don't know that we'll make it, but we're going to try. Uh, so, you know, this is, this is really what um, we're about. Well, two questions before we close, Jim. I know you've got a call coming up here. We'll, we'll close on the boot. I'll get to that second uh, let's start first, though, with general thoughts on the evolution of the hypercar class coming together, it feels like, in a more solid way than ever. Let's say the announcement of Peugeot coming in. Now we've learned that they'll be partnering with Rebellion. Really seems like the foundation of something solid, something that will have enough manufacturers in it uh, to launch this formula, obviously hoping more will be coming in and years down the road. I know Peugeot is coming in at a little bit of a delayed date, but still, it looks like we've had enough manufacturers opt in uh, to say this is going to work. What are your thoughts about hearing about Peugeot and general thoughts about the health of this formula? It's maybe had a little, a few dodgy moments as to whether it was really going to take off. I'm I'm very excited. I you know for years I thought that this was the direction that the top class at Le Mans had to go. I thought that the um, you know 300 million euro a year spending for the top LMP1 teams was unsustainable. I thought that things that look like uh, fighter planes rather than dream sports cars was unsustainable. And um, I'm very optimistic with the number of people, including, of course, Peugeot and Aston and Toyota, who and uh, Rebellion uh, Peugeot are coming in. And I hope there'll be some other privateers who will join. And I think it will be fantastic. And I really hope that IMSA takes a good, hard look at to what their, quote, DPI2 will be and 
you know, tries to see if there could be a way that they could allow the hypercars at least to run in in some of the IMSA races because it would be a great day when the World Championship of Makes includes Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans, and uh, some of the other great races around the world. The boot, again, knowing that it its origins has it has the name Steve McQueen attached to it. If that doesn't automatically make folks love uh, this vehicle, I don't know what will. But beyond the car's lineage, beyond its history, the fact that you have indeed just gone and humbled the Blue Oval at Baja and uh, done the, the proverbial driven at home afterwards routine as well. There's been so much press about this, Jim. That's the thing I love most is it seems like a lot of people get it, that this means something, that you did something not only amazing in terms of the result, how, but how it was done and who it was done to. I don't know if I have a hard question to ask, but let's just close giving some love to what you guys did. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, you know, this was a very emotional experience. I mean, owning Steve McQueen's original Baja boot and driving it in the Baja on the race course um, and just thinking about that that vehicle raced from 1967 to 1984 and it won the Baja 500 and it was the... um, muse for hunter thompson's fear and loathing in las vegas he was sent by sports illustrated magazine to cover the mint 400 and uh, the boot was in it and he wrote about it and when uh, sports illustrated got the manuscript which was fear and loathing in las vegas i'm not sure they really thought it was a coverage of the race because in the middle of the book he says who won maybe nobody but they still published it but to me all of that history came streaming back and the work of vic Hinky, who designed the Lunar Rover and the boot and the Hummer H1 and all of the drivers uh, who had done it. And when we were down there, I think that the great thing is we were able to use some of that original engineering, uh, make it a little bit more modern, but we could still stand and deliver. And in a, as you say, in a vehicle that we drove from L.A., down to the Baja, the road version, we tested and put on um 2500 miles on the race course drove it home i drove a section at night it was just a very memorable thing and uh that's what we do at uh glickenhaus and uh that's what our customers like and uh we're keeping our fingers crossed brilliant jim look forward to our next conversation when all of your plans and all the partners for your hypercar effort will come to light Going to look forward to telling that story as well. And if it isn't clear, deep affinity for what you do, because it does represent a very important and at times overly forgotten aspect of the automotive industry. A passionate person wanting to do things to create things, not trying to be a giant manufacturer, but trying to use the love for the automobile, the shape, the sound, smells create something for like-minded folks to drive on the road and a limited number of folks to go race that as well deeply appreciative of what you do thank you so much marshall and my thoughts are with you on all of your stuff and i appreciate everything you do